Welcome to Feminist Buzzkills, the show that breaks abortion news faster than music executives can settle sexual assault lawsuits. I'm Moji Alawode-L, and while Liz is away this week, I have two incredible co-hosts with me. From the Boom Lawyer podcast, Jess Piclo, and Imani Gender here to drop truth bombs and fun facts. Jessica? So great to be here, Moji. Today, we are going to talk about why we can't have all the nice things that ballot initiatives can bring and how the number of Texas abortion ban victims willing to testify about the harms they've suffered keeps growing. Amani? Thanks, Jess. We are also going to get into how ending affirmative action wasn't enough. Now conservatives are fighting programs specifically created to combat maternal mortality and improve postpartum outcomes. And why? Well, because they serve marginalized people, obviously. Who cares that there's an epidemic of Black maternal mortality in this country? Pro-life, my Black ass. We all know that pro-life is a lie and they don't care if people die. Oh, oh wait, is this a march or a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm so excited to have you both on the show this week. I'm a huge fan of your podcast, A, because you're both really funny, and B, because you do a really great job of breaking down things that feel like dense legal concepts into bite-sized, manageable chunks. So just let's have a little chat. You guys spent all this time and energy getting law degrees and then pivoted to the glamorous and lucrative world of repro journalism. Why? (laughs) Why indeed? I just wasn't making enough money in privatists. And I figured the best way to do that would be to go into nonprofit repro journalism. And it's really paid out in dividends. I mean, I am living large and in charge. No, seriously, it's actually the opposite of that. You know, I originally went to law school because I wanted to help people. And I was like, I'm going to do work in like women's rights because this was before like people went to school for repro. You know, I'm like turning 50. We didn't do those sorts of things. And then once after, you know, a smooth decade of being abused in corporate law firms, I realized that this just was not how I wanted my life to be. And I wanted to actually do some things and help some people. And so, you know, I did what every normal person does when they're feeling despondent. And I got on Twitter. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) (laughs) no, I'm so glad she did, though, because that's how we met. I was going to say, and that's when big abortion came calling, right? Like, (laughs) I'm sorry, you guys are Twitter friends that moved to a podcast. How 2008. I love this. (laughs) But that's exactly the time frame, too, because I ended up, you know, similar to Imani, I actually had a pretty traditional legal career. I was working in a law firm, like doing law firm things, litigating cases as much as they let junior associates litigate cases. And this is before the Affordable Care Act. And then the Affordable Care Act started to take place. And at that point, I had transitioned into uh, as a legal professor and was helping run the Health Law Institute at Helen Law School in St. Paul, Minnesota. So shout out to the Minnesotans there. And y'all may remember there was a big abortion and contraception fight in the ACA. And that's kind of what like really fully drew me into it professionally was because I could speak abortion and insurance. And like, wow, (laughs) who would have thought those were two things that would be handy to have? You know, when you think about it, it actually is really obvious and more people should have abortion and insurance at the same time. (laughs) I mean... So what is a conversation, having done all of the many things you've done in your world, that you never want to have again? Can you have it with me now? Oh, I love that emojis are safe space, right? (laughs) 
I never want to have a billable hour conversation again, as long as I live, no matter what I do. I mean, I can think of like all the things of like, I never want to talk about how not everybody who gets pregnant is a woman. Like, yes, obviously, but truly I never want to think in terms of like capital on the work that I do again. I love what I do. And this is, it's just good to, to be here to do it. Yeah, I mean, repro related, I never want to have another conversation about how Margaret Sanger was trying to like murder the black community one black child at a time. Like, oh, you're at the wrong podcast. We're definitely going to talk about that today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with that conversation. I'm done with the black genocide conversation. And then, you know, professionally, like Jess, I'm done with traditional work days. I'm done with Having to go into an, I mean, I've been done for more than a decade, but having to go into an office and just sit there for FaceTime, I'm so much more productive and happy when I can, you know, think about what I'm going to write while I play video games for an hour. I mean, I write most of my pieces in my head as I'm doing other things as ADD means I can multitask and I can do that at home without people looking in my office being like, what is she doing? She just looks like she's staring at the wall, you know, (laughs) so... (laughs) So funny. I feel like my ADHD tells me you can do one thing at a time. OG, slow down. (laughs) Mine's the opposite. Mine's like you got to do eight things at once or you're doing nothing at all. So this world is a flaming dumpster fire and we are people who follow the news and we particularly follow repro. So like literally every day it's some new crazy and you guys cover the worst. We cover pretty bad as well. What gives you hope? The people doing the work, the people that we get to uh, interact with, the people who we get to meet in communities, the patients and providers still like really making it happen. I mean, Amani's heard me say this for, you know, damn well since Dobbs was overturned, but fascists hate joy. And we are in the middle of a fascist movement with bodily autonomy at the center of it. And being joyful in this moment is a radical act. And when we can be around other people who who make us feel joyful and express that in the face of all of this shit, that is powerful. I knew she was going to say that. Jess loves talking about community and hope and radical joy. And she's brought, she's dragged me along the hope trail with her. I will say um, what gives me hope are honestly the youths, the youths. The youths, the Gen Zers. Yeah, the Gen Z youths. I mean, I work with a couple of these like 25-year-old whippersnappers. They are whippersnappers. Not only are they fired up, but from like, a woman, I work with a woman of color. I'm going to shout her out, Natasha Roy. She's like an editor at Rewire News Group. And I can tell you, when I was 25 years old, I would not have had as much confidence in myself to like speak up for myself and to advocate for myself as a woman of color in a workspace, right? Mm -hmm. And I just think that that's, I, I feel like there are a lot of young people, young people of color, young trans people, marginalized people in workspaces who are done shrinking themselves yep. in order yes. to appease, you know, the quote unquote man, you know what I mean? Like people are just, they're saying, they're, they're saying who they are with their chests. They're going to law school to do repro. They're fighting for what they believe in. And they're starting out young and not waiting until they're 35. Right. Done going to rave parties in the desert and decide, hey, maybe I should do something with myself. <laughs> oh, I'm not talking about myself. Yes, I am. I feel all that. Yeah, I feel that too. Like, oh yeah, at 25, people are really out here committing to something in a way that is inspiring to see. Yeah, I love it. Definitely. Shout out to the youth. Shout out to the youth and shout out to community because I I 100% agree as well. Community is really what keeps us working and keeps us alive and sane. (laughs) Anyway, let's get on with the pod. Oh, what's that music? 
It means it's time for Dance and Watch, our weekly segment that brings you a new creepy anecdote about Mike Johnson, the latest creepiest speaker of the house in America's history. This week in Johnson Watch, Johnson sticks with the anti-abortion classics. Here he is being interviewed just last year on a right-wing radio show. You know, how, do, how, do, how are the witnesses responding to uh, that basic fact that so many black people are killed in this barbaric practice? It, it is truly an American holocaust, and, and their response is to try to ignore it. I mean, the reality is that Planned Parenthood and all these big, you know, big abortion, uh, they set up their clinics in inner cities. Um, they, they are, you know, they, they regard these people as, as easy prey. If you're new to abortion activism, this may sound stunning, but this is kind of the meat and potatoes of anti-abortion talking points. And also, as a Black person who's countered protested antis in many states, they love to tell me that abortion is Black genocide and abortion providers target urban neighborhoods. Imani, you have some great facts to talk to about that. Yeah, that's just bullshit. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's wildly untrue. And, you know... I'm going to cite the Guttmacher Institute and any person, not that there's anyone who is anti-choice listening to this, but any person be like, oh, Guttmacher Institute is partisan, blah, blah, blah. They're not. They just do research. But they have found that six in 10 abortion providers are located in neighborhoods when more than half of the residents are white. Fewer than one in 10 abortion providers are located in neighborhoods where more than half of residents are black. And even if you don't want to listen to the Guttmacher Institute, but you trust me personally, I spent several months, like several years ago, looking at the maps that they had on blackgenocide.org where they have this claim and they have... I'm sorry, blackgenocide.org? Love that. Blackgenocide.org. Yeah, check it out. Real fun group. Real fun group. <laughs> but they have little dots showing where all the abortion clinics are. And then they try to say, you see, this dot is in a black neighborhood. It's in the ghetto. And it's like only a mile and a half away from this other abortion clinic. But if you actually look at the map, they'll, they'll say it's 1.5 miles away as the crow flies, right? So literally in a straight line. And that may mean crossing a railroad track or crossing a whole ass highway rather than thinking about what you mean when you're talking about neighborhood clinics. You're talking about a clinic that's around the corner, like a clinic that's across from the bodega. You're not talking about a clinic that's across the river, over the highway and through the woods. Like, I'm sorry. It's just it's lies. I looked at it with my own two eyes. Listen, I live in a black neighborhood in New York, a blue ass state, and I know that there's not an abortion clinic very near me. <laughs> it's just nonsense. And also, they don't care about black people. They don't. Also, I want to just point out this clip was from 2022. This isn't something he said like even two years ago. This was last year. <laughs> this was last yeah, year. They recycle the lies and they like to pretend that they care about us when they don't. Okay. That's entirely enough, Johnson, for one day, ladies. <laughs> said the perimenopausal bi lady. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Actually, some Johnson is always too much Johnson. <laughs> Says the area lesbian. <laughs> is that me? Is that you? <laughs> now here to cleanse our palate is Molly dropping this week's steaming news dump on you. Thank you so much, friends. Welcome to your steaming news dump. You're going to want to brace yourself because this dump is so dark. You're going to want to take a picture and show your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're in Idaho, in which case you're going to have to go to WebMD. Not many doctors left there because of reasons like this. Lawyers for the state are literally begging the state Supreme Court to let their abortion ban stand so that they can punish emergency room doctors who provide abortions. They don't think doctors should be held to the federal law that says that you have to try and stabilize patients when they are dying. Why? Because... 
Sometimes abortion is the thing that saves lives. Idaho's just going to keep dodging that fact like it's a hot potato. I got my potato reference. (laughs) I have to every time. So it's been a couple of weeks since Ohio's abortion ballot victory, but we are still getting our kicks from the schadenfreude of watching just how hard the losers lost. Some of these losers, turns out, are the Ohio Catholic bishops who spent a whopping $1.7 million on a Hail Mary to defeat the proposal. They must have a really good accountant because even after spending all that money on incense and gold robes and covering up sexual abuse scandals, there's always some left over to advocate for state-sanctioned torture. You know what they say, a penny saved is a sinner burn. <laughs> sinner burn. <laughs> and we're going to tie this up with a little bit more ballot palooza. News, uh, anti-abortion lawmakers think you are scared shitless seeing all the success of the ballot initiatives. So they're doing anything that they can to delay or stop them. So ballot measures in Arkansas and Nevada have both been roadblocked because of supposed issues with the wording. Anti-abortion AGs and judges have tried to use this tactic of claiming that voters are too dense to understand what's written. So Let's just play a game going forward. Every time you hear that line, treat it like the secret word on Pee Wee's Playhouse and just scream, (laughs) bullshit! (laughs) Promise me. Yes. That's your dump. Back to you guys. So what you're saying is it's not a perfect tool and democracy is just kind of being bullshit right now. Absolutely. Yep. One hondo P. Emoji, you're going to talk to the people about ballot initiatives. Sure, well, uh, as soon as we get to the meeting stories, we want to talk about this week, which is soon. Thanks, Malls, for joining us. Anytime. So, me, like everyone else at FBK, has been really excited about citizen-led ballot initiative. It's a way for voters to directly weigh in on democracy and not be at the whim of their appointed or elected representatives. And this is when citizens decide what they want to change. They collect signatures from other voters have a constitutional amendment or statute placed on the ballot during an election, and it started to feel a bit like a magic bullet to bypass conservative legislators, kind of like what happened in Ohio. Currently, about 26 states allow some form of citizen-led ballot initiatives, and some states, like Tennessee, have worked extra hard to strip that right from people. In 2014, you guys know about this, right? 2014? Mm-hmm. When um uh, they basically used a ballot measure, that's really funny. That was like the fun irony of it. They used a ballot measure to take rights away from voters so that voters cannot actually decide on what they want to do, re abortion, and only legislators can do it. And so this means that they can't use a ballot measure right now to change things. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it it feels like the ultimate take your uh, ball and go home when you have, you know, um, when you have the party in power and at a time when they're doing some tea leaf reading and being able to see, you know, sort of the look, anti-abortion policies are not popular. They're not they never win elections ever, ever. And and so they know that. And so, you know, I think the Tennessee story is such a perfect example of the anti-abortion movement and conservative lawmakers being very good, unfortunately, at reading the landscape ahead of them and then putting in roadblocks and sort of like, you know, trying to uh, fix the game, so to speak, in their favor on their way out. I think also part of why this worked is because when Roe was the law of the land, we, maybe not us three, but a lot of us and people as a country were like, ah, none of these are going to stand because Roe is eternal. And the minute Dobbs ended, Roe is not eternal and all these fucked up laws, their consequences are being felt more deeply. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think some of the same way that folks were saying that after um, Dobbs was overturned, we were going to see states loosening, you know, the exceptions around health and and medical exceptions for uh, pregnant patients who need it. And that clearly hasn't fucking happened. The things that they say to sort of mollify people, right? Like, we're taking away abortion, but it's fine. We're just going to send it back to the states. Meanwhile, as they're saying this out of one side of their mouth, on the other side of their mouth, they're trying to find the first personhood case that they can push to the Supreme Court. They're trying to figure out other ways that they can, you know, de-democratize democracy, right? Like we're living, we live in a democracy, but do we really? Because every time citizens rise up and, and change something, Republicans are like, wait, how can we screw this up? How can we take that away? It really does start to feel like we don't live in a democracy. And I think even when the Ohio passed, was was it Centorum who on stage was like, some states don't do that. He was very proud. It's like the trolls on Twitter be like, excuse me, we don't live in democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. Well, absolutely. And even when Ohio passed, what was the first thing that the Ohio Republican Party said was, we're going to figure out a way to still do our abortion bans anyway. Screw you guys. Like, they don't care. And the one guy was like, People are talking about 15 weeks. We'll just do, we'll just do a real quick 15 week ban. Right, guys? I mean, I know you just changed the Constitution to say no bans ever. But what about it? Just like a quick 15 week ban. Maybe we won't let the courts review the jurisdiction of these anyway while we're at it. Who cares? Court schmortz. That literally boggles my mind. Like, I have to repeat what Jess said. What Ohio did is they said that they are going to remove abortion rights from the root, from the rubric of shit, from the universe of shit that the courts in Ohio yes. has to adjudicate. Right? Like. <laughs> They can, they can adjudicate taxes, random civil procedure issues. But when it comes to constitutional rights, no, no, no. The courts can't do that. It's going to be us Republicans. It's ridiculous. Also, even when I looked at that proposal, I was like, how would that work? Because, of course, if they did it, someone would take it to the judiciary. And what judiciary is going to say, absolutely, please right. take power from us. And that's what's really funny. It's like, even <laughs> even though the, the, the Supreme Court is Republican, one thing Supreme Courts like is power. If you try to go to a state court and say, you don't have the power to do this. It happened in Texas a little bit, right? When they were like, Texas, you don't, courts right. don't have the power to do this. And the courts were like, bullshit, we don't. I mean, it's, it's Marbury versus Madison. It's the very first fucking case the Supreme Court decided, which was, yo, bitches, we have the power to decide what we want to decide. Like, truly. And like, honestly, if you want to talk about like, just like big flexes, like the Supreme Court of the United States, their <laughs> yes. first case was the biggest fucking flex like history. They were like, it yeah, is. we know Congress, you just created us. And we know that you make laws, but what we're going to go ahead and do is we're going to tell ourselves that we can we can cancel your laws. It was like the first incident of cancel culture. <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea of also any powerful person like reneging on any power, like I don't see it. I don't see an equal branch reneging on any power. No. The problem is this is an imperfect perfect tool and not every state can use it. And they're doing what they can to stop it. But I think we still have to try it where we can. You mm -hmm. know, if you live in a yeah. state that has an abortion ban... Do three Googles. Find out if you can start a ballot initiative. You know where you can't do a ballot initiative, a citizen-led one? New York. Isn't that wild? Really? Yeah. A loose coalition of states. Yeah, a loose coalition of states is exactly what this country is. And we all know that when we leave it to politicians to legislate medicine, we get a fucking mess. Oh. So Jess, will you take us back to Texas where things are not all right? Yeah, Texas is is a whole mess. We love you, but the politicians there, look, and Imani knows this. Normally, I love a class action. And for all the youths out there, the whippersnappers, if you don't know the movie Class Action, 
you have homework. Go watch it this weekend. It is a classic gene hacking flick. It's one of my favorites. I talk about it all the time. It is wonderful. Class actions like ballot initiatives, an imperfect but important tool to be used. And there's one happening in Texas right now. It's been filed by over 20 folks who were denied abortions, despite the fact that they had serious and life-threatening conditions that should have qualified them for a medical exception to the one of the, I don't know, 245,000 abortion bans currently on the books in Texas. The case was first filed in March of 2023, and this week, the Texas Supreme Court heard oral arguments in it. Look, there's a lot of law to talk about in this case, but really, honestly, what I want to talk about is less the legal arguments and more about why this case really seems to be a perfect snapshot of the place that women and folks who are capable of becoming pregnant find themselves in after Dobbs, and that is pleading for our humanity in a legal system that barely recognizes us as humans. Humans. It's like throwing us on the mercy of the court system, of legislators, of lawmakers, and saying, please, like, give me a little more health care. It's awful. And, and just the idea that the response from the Texas Attorney General's office in arguments was, well, first of all, we're going to have some tough calls to make just generally. Like, I don't know, let's come out of the gates and say... People are going to die and we're okay with it. It's tough calls. But they said it early on. Remember when when they actually argued, they were like, uh, they argued the federal government, like we don't actually have to pay attention to the federal guidelines that say stabilize pregnant people. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 Idaho and, and Amtala all over again. But then it yeah. gets, we like fall even deeper into the rabbit hole because they the argument that the AG's office has is, well, look, if folks have bad medical care, if they need an abortion, if they're bleeding out, if they've got amniotic fluid coming from them, they need to sue their doctors because that's medical malpractice. Which is wild to me because I'm like, doctors had a protocol before you guys put this ban in place and they would be doing it, but there's this ban in place. Exactly. They don't want to go to jail. Exactly. It <laughs> is, I mean, it is de facto, it is of fact that abortion bans are medical malpractice. And the Texas Attorney General's office inadvertently said it with their whole chest in these oral arguments. And I think that's a point that I hope advocates pick up on, regardless of the success on the merits of this lawsuit or not. And like, look, this is really tough and brave. I commend the people who have stood up to do this, to put yourself in a position to relive medical trauma over and over and over again, and to be dismissed outright by elected officials and judges and to be questioned, to be like, you know what, you don't even really need to be here anymore because you're not even pregnant. What's the big fucking deal? There's this thing called capable of repetition, but evading review, right? Like pregnancies only last nine months. And in order to have standing to bring a lawsuit, in order if you have an injury that can be remedied, like you have to have that injury unless the injury is going to continue to elude sort of adjudication in a court of law because cases take four years and you can't stay pregnant for four years. First of all, these women who aren't pregnant right now maybe had a pregnancy complication, a bad pregnancy outcome. These people are in court being like, but yeah, bitches, we want to be pregnant in the future and we don't know if we will survive the pregnancy because you assholes are telling doctors to do things that have no basis in medical science because you're not doctors. Also, this like you're not pregnant this second and therefore you don't have standing is among, I mean, everything is cynical about this, but there's something so cynical about yeah. that. Like, you know how yeah. long pregnancy is, you know how long tort cases right. take, come on. Yeah, exactly. Well, 
it's one of the things that came up for me though, watching this in March when it first came up and we just had the arguments is how whitewashed those plaintiffs are, oh, right? Yeah. You look at the pictures and I'm like, not nary a person of color, at least showing up in the photo ops. It's this colorblindness, you know, that ignores the way that black women and women of color are disproportionately affected by all healthcare disparities, but particularly when it comes to reproductive health care. Mani, you have something to say about that? Yes, I do. So there are a couple of activist nonprofit groups that are suing the city of San Francisco and the state of California over the Abundant Birth Project, which is a state-funded initiative that provides like small stipends, you know, $1,000, $1,500 to Black and Pacific Islander women. The Abundant Birth Project was launched in 2021 to study health impacts, providing supplemental income to mothers during pregnancy and for six months postpartum. And the goal was to reduce well-documented racial disparities in maternal health care. But of course, there are white folks who are complaining and alleging that, that, that this program violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And, you know, first of all, I just want to point out that the 14th Amendment was a Reconstruction Amendment. The very per It's a Black-ass amendment. The purpose of the Reconstruction Amendment was to bring Black people into some sort of social parity and equality with white people. So the fact that now we are reversing yep. that and saying that the Equal Protection Clause is meant to protect white people from things that are unfair to them, it drives me bananas. Same. No, same. Every day. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, so obviously, you know, the value of this program is obvious. It repairs generational harm, structural racism, reduces documented racial disparities. But the TLDR is that under the constitutional rubric that we have right now, there's no constitutional basis for using those kinds of public funds to provide money to some people and not other people based on their race. Now, we know that the disparities are so shocking that it absolutely does make sense to give extra money to Black women, to Pacific yep. Islander women. But under Supreme Court precedent, there's just no clear legal argument for that proposition. And certainly Clarence Thomas's Supreme Court would never allow such a thing. So we're just in a world where where all of these programs, whether it's scholarships or grants for, you know, VC funding for Black women, there was a, a, a organization called Fearless Fund that was started like originally by like Rudy Huxtable, <laughs> started this, this like VC fund to provide <laughs> grants to Black women businesses. And there's someone suing them saying, oh, that's not fair, even though Black women get something like less than 1% of venture capital funds. So as our legal experts for the week, you are pretty sure that these cases have some merit and that it'll shut down these programs that are supposed to help people. Yeah. The, the Equal Protection Clause now means colorblindness. Now, the Supreme Court is forcing us all to live in a world where racism no longer exists, where everyone has the same advantages, everyone starts at the same place. And so if you're going to give a scholarship to a black kid from the inner city and not a scholarship to Madison Cahill from the Hamptons, then it's not fair to poor little Maddie because she plays lacrosse and field hockey. And she was told she was going to get into Yale. Listen, I want to live in this colorblind world they want to live in. That's just not the world I live in right now. And we all know colorblindness only helps people who are already in power, right? Exactly. Like, oh my gosh, Maddie got to play lacrosse. How lucky for her. <laughs> and, you know, I wrote a piece about this a couple of months ago, in my view, the whole idea that that diversity became the linchpin for affirmative action right. is nonsense. Reparations should be the linchpin of affirmative action. Affirmative action became less about 
repairing generational harm and more about finding Tristan and Madeline and Kaylee, the three little white people who came from, you know, Long Island and never met a black person. Well, when they got to Harvard, they met their first black person. And that black person was an affirmative action baby. And why are they there? To increase diversity. So when these titans of pub of industry and public health and politics go into the world, they can thank you know, affirmative action for, for finding them their first no. black friend. That doesn't help black people. Doesn't. How does that help black people? It doesn't. It tokenizes. Also, the other thing, like, you know, you brought up Ed Bloom, and he is basically the person who led the charge that reframed affirmative action as we know it. And I was reading an article that essentially said the Asian students that were the final thing, the final key that worked, because he tried this several times, are still not seeing any relief because... This wasn't for them. But there was an article in the Times that recently, just this week, talking about how Asian American parents are more stressed out than ever when it comes to trying to get their kids into college. And it's like, we told y'all, right? These white folks were using you as a shield for their white supremacist nonsense. And you were like, no, it's not there because all the black kids are taking my spots at Yale. It's not the black kids. (laughs) It's George Bush Jr., George W. Bush, and all these other legacy ding-dongs who are taking your spot. It's not like, it's not the Black kid who had to, you know, take AP classes after school. I mean, it's just, it's so frustrating, this the rank anti-Blackness that is steeped in the conversation that suggests that Black people are inherently inferior and that anything that they've done to advance themselves had to have come at the expense of someone more deserving. And that is a frustrating narrative to have to labor under your entire life. Yes, you want to say something? I feel like we're just like ranting. We're black women ranting. As well, you should. <laughs> and I mean, I'd be remiss to point out that, you know, white women are by far some of the biggest beneficiaries of these programs as well. I mean, Amani's uh, pointed that out and really her coverage uh, in this space is unparalleled. So white women, man. We love y'all, but get it together. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry and thank Yay. you. Yay. Sorry and thank you. <laughs> uh, Imani, I really like that you took this moment to really live into your Twitter handle, Angry Black Lady. I appreciate that. As always, these stories will be in the show notes and you can find the best, most up-to-the-minute resources on accessing abortion care and funding for your care on our website, aafront.org. Our Charlie chatbot on the bottom right will walk anyone, anywhere in the country through their options and resources for abortion. Well, this show would not be possible without the support of our fake sponsors. Imani, Jessica, help me tell the people about it. Your Ben Shapiro's and your Alex Joneses are making millions online, grinding away at abortion access and stripping down reproductive rights. Their fans pay big money to get off watching them fuck women over again and again and again and again. But why should professionals be the only ones making all that cash? You too can get in on that sweet, sweet misogyny money today by starting your very own OnlyBands page. Only Bands, the platform by and for anti-abortion content creators. No budget? No problem. All you need for your Only Bands page is a webcam, some meat sweats, and a carnal thirst for a world where abortion bans put women back on their backs and in your control. Choose a catchy title like Secret Agent Ban or the Ku Klux Ban, and you'll get every suffer bitch subredditor literally throwing money at you. We all know that men who love men who hate abortion is the fastest growing industry in America. And OnlyBands is your opportunity to get in on the ground floor. OnlyBands, the unporn hub. 
Can I just say I follow on social media more than anybody should um, anti-abortion content creators and they would eat the shit up. Wouldn't they? They would love it. <laughs> we should charge them. We should start this. <laughs> I love this idea. We really have the worst commercials here. We have the worst sponsors. They're terrible people. We never want to spend time Just with. Suffer bitches, man. <laughs> suffer bitch. One suffer bitch after the another is exactly who we have. Well, Imani, Jess, that's our show. Oh my goodness. Oh, I had man. so much fun with you guys today. Thank you for holding me down. Can you tell our listeners where to find you? Yes, you can find me on x.com and you can find Jess on x.com at hegemommy, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. We're both on Blue Sky. You can follow Rewire News Group on all the places, Instagram, TikTok, freaking Blue Sky, Threads, I don't know, netcities.geoscape backslash Nordstrom Rack, all the places. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Imani, I totally forgot that it's called X.com now. <laughs> I was like, what's X.com? That's why I always say X.com because it makes me sound like I'm drinking Mountain Dew and like, it's so extreme. <laughs> well, listeners, thank you for listening. Like, subscribe and show FBK some love with a five-star rating and stay connected on social media at Abortion Front and turn that enragement into engagement. Ballot Initiative Alert, a clinic escort and listener in Jacksonville, Florida, wants us to remind you that Florida is currently collecting signatures for a ballot initiative to restore and protect abortion access there. You can go to floridiansprotectingfreedom.com for more information, and the link will be in the show notes. Looking for where you might fit in to do some abortion activism? AAF has a five-part activist training series called Operation Save Abortion at operationsaveabortion.com. And check out the activist calendar, which is full of local and national actions and educational opportunities. Listeners in Omaha, do you like painting and supporting abortion access? Well, Nebraska Abortion Resources is hosting a canvas painting class fundraiser on December 7th at 6.30 p.m. It's at the Corky Canvas in downtown Omaha. You can get all the details for this event and more at the AAF Activist Calendar. Next week will be dark because we'll be getting all dolled up for our holiday party. But on December 15th, Liz and I will be back and talking to Wonder Woman herself, Linda Carter. We'll talk about her ongoing fight for social good and hear about her new single, Rise Up. Sadly, last month we lost our dear friend Andrea Miller, who was the executive director of the National Institute for Reproductive Health. Andrea was a giant in the fight for reproductive freedom. Liz and I will be joined by Aisha Mills, interim president of NIRH, to honor her legacy. Andrea was a powerhouse, and you don't want to miss this moving tribute. And if you enjoyed our pod, maybe join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feministbuzzkills. FBK Live is edited by Remy DeTournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. Thanks again, Jess and Imani, for joining me today. So much fun. Thanks so much. Finally, we leave you with Christian hate preacher Aaron Thompson, a man who is showing us his whole ass with his theory as to why there are no female Ninja Turtles. We're in a world today where, you know, women are being exalted and men are being debased. And, you know, there's a lot of jobs that women just can't do. And I'm not trying to, like, be misogynistic or whatever, but it's just a fact, okay? Men jump out of helicopters. Men are, are supposed to be the ones on the battlefield. 
you know, men are supposed to be the ones that are doing the construction work. And that's generally true. There's not a lot of sewer technicians that are, you know, sewer clean. You know, when I was in the sewers department, there was like one homo that was in there and that was it. And she was looked more like a man than she did like a woman. But she was still lazy. Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feministbuzzkills. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.